Tonight's scripture is Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly beloved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come expectant into this Advent season that we might be a fragrant aroma to you. Help us to learn tonight how to walk in love so that we might be good imitations of you to a lost and hurting world. We ask for your grace this Christmas season that we might be good imitations of you. Help us to look into your word, to read it carefully, and to know your will for our lives. We thank you for the gift of your Son, of sending him in the flesh, and him following your will perfectly, which meant to the cross, so that he might die and take on the sins of the world, so we might take on his righteousness. We give you thanks in the way you provide for us. And we pray. Amen. Well, we're getting off of the Thanksgiving season. Last Tuesday night, I came home, and as soon as I entered the house, I knew that Katie had been baking for our Thanksgiving outings. I knew that because the aroma of two pumpkin cheesecakes hit me in the face the moment I walked in. And a few days before that, she had made three jars of praline pecan sauce to put over said cheesecakes. It also goes great with brownies and ice cream. Totally unrelated, I'm in the market for a used treadmill if anyone's uh, selling one. But you know the holidays are coming up just by the aromas. From October on, everyone's had their fill of pumpkin spice lattes. You love the aroma. Who doesn't like to wake up to coffee and the aroma of that every morning? Deep fried turkeys on Thanksgiving Day. Or if you're like us, you've already had your Christmas tree up for three weeks, so your house smells like pine and evergreen all over. It's wonderful. For a lot of us, there's just nothing more pleasant than that kind of smell, that kind of aroma. And that's how aromas should work. They should be pleasing. You know by how the house smells that good food is on the way. You know by uh, how the stores smell that the holidays are close by. And that's what we read about in Paul's letters to the Ephesus church. Jesus Christ, the Son, is a fragrant aroma to the Father. The Son pleases the Father by his obedience. But look at how Jesus pleases God. By walking in love, by having given himself up as an offering and a sacrifice for the church. And Paul tells us to imitate God in that way. So as we go full steam into the holiday season, one holiday already behind us, the church as a whole needs to remember that we are on full display. On full display to a watching world. Perhaps at no other time of the year and no other time in history has the church been more in the crosshairs of this watching world. You don't want to overstate all this stuff, but there are always people who are out to look at whenever the church or a Christian makes a mistake, they slip up. And this ramps up during the Christmas season because churches like Mount Pisgah get more active 
We'll have more worship services. We'll have special kids program. And just generally be more in the culture's line of sight. People will go to churches all over the world for no other reason than someone invited them for Christmas. People who never regard the church the rest of the year suddenly take notice of the church and Christians during Christmas. And we should be eternally thankful for that moment when the world is listening and we get to tell the world who we really are and who our Savior really is. So I want to pose to you tonight as we begin to celebrate something so miraculous as God humiliating himself to take on human flesh is this. Is Mount Pisgah worth imitating? That's a fair question. Is Mount Pisgah worth imitating? As Mount Pisgah is called to imitate God, is Mount Pisgah worth imitating? Are you, in a season of fragrant aromas, are you a fragrant aroma to God and to a lost and hurting world? At this time of year, we think of imitating kindness and charity, of course, but the world does that. Should the world imitate our worship and our holiness? Our holiness. Do these things catch the eye of the world? See, when Jesus modeled sacrifice and holiness, it was a pleasing aroma to the Father. And Paul says that this is what we as believers should imitate about God. And when we have a watching world, people need to see that we imitate God like this way, that we can imitate him by walking in love, that we believe and behave that love truly does cover over a multitude of sins, that we can only be made holy through the sacrifice that Christ made for us. So we should be, therefore, the most humble people. How can Mount Pisgah imitate a gracious, holy, and sacrificial God to a lost and hurting world? Now, why is this so important? Because to the world, all we have is our witness. The church has no worldly power. We are not an organization that's just about politics. The church does not set up and tear down kings because our king is not of this world. All we have is our influence, our witness. And the church has the most incredible story that we should want to testify to to this world, that one night, 2,000 years ago, God humiliated himself by taking on humanity with all of its sin. And he did so surrounded by no one but his mom, a guy she wasn't married to yet, and some dirty animals. But as an adult, he put himself in my place to bear the punishment for my sin that I deserve, so that I too could be a fragrant aroma pleasing to my Heavenly Father. So I want to look tonight at this passage and see what kind of pleasing aroma the Son was to the Father and how you and I can imitate that. But what stands out to me more than anything in this passage, before we get started, more than anything in this passage, is how the real fragrant pleasing aroma to God is the way that Christ loved the church. But what's more is how much that love cost him. Paul says he gave himself up for us and that it was an offering and a sacrifice. You see, true love, true godly love, the, world, the kind of love the world does not understand, loses something. It is sacrificial. If there is no sacrifice, it is not godly love. 
You and I know how to do something kind to someone else as long as it doesn't require too much. But the kind of love that God showed the world through His Son was entirely sacrificial. As He became an infant to grow into a man to sacrifice Himself on a cross is so much more than just the general kindness that the world knows how to show to each other. And the greatest kind of love only matters if it loses so that someone else gains. First, Paul says to imitate or mimic God as his children would. Imitate God as beloved children. Isn't it terrifying how much your children watch you and they mimic everything you do? They see everything. And because you're the parent, they think everything you do is right and good. That's horrifying. And in the same way we learn from our parents, God says to learn from God as you would a father. And not just as children, but as beloved children. Children that are loved act like they're loved, don't they? Children are just too transparent. So if you're a teacher or a a counselor or somebody that works with children or students on the regular basis, you understand that children are quite transparent. And you know the kids that are loved at home, and you know the kids that aren't. They're just so transparent. So we need to mimic or imitate God in the way a child learns by imitating and mimicking their parents. So what kind of things are we to imitate about God? In the chapter right before tonight's passage, Paul gives considerable space to the Christian's walk. I guarantee your Bible has a headline of the Christian's walk or something like it. And by walk, Paul's answering the question, how do we then live? Follow along in chapter 4. Paul says this, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are, are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work. Doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, but with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Speak the truth. Don't let anger lead you into sin. Do something useful with your hands. Speak words of grace and compassion to each other. Don't sin against the Spirit. Be kind, forgiving. These are the ways that you and I practically imitate a holy God. The bad news is none of us are a poster child for these things, except our Heavenly Father and His Son. He modeled for us these things perfectly. So we know that when we look to him, he is our bar and nothing shorter. He's the God of truth. His anger is always righteous. He uses his hands to create and sustain. He speaks kindly to his children, and he has forgiven our sins. Second, Paul says to walk in love. Walking is just the general sense of your character, So is your life characterized by love? In Galatians 5, Paul says to walk in the Spirit, 
2 Corinthians, he says to walk by faith. In Colossians, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. There are just several things that should be general characterizations of and should always be growing in those who profess Christ as Lord and Savior. But when Christ, when Paul is asked to summarize the life that imitates God, what's his response? Walk in love. He can summarize everything he said elsewhere by walk in love. And love, as we've seen, is sacrificial if it's anything. God's love is costly. And there are practical outworkings of walking in love. Husbands should love your wives, but not as the world loves. Husbands should love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Children should love their parents through obedience to their parents. This is most clearly demonstrated in the Incarnation. The whole reason we're here tonight, the Incarnation. God taking on flesh to become one of us. Christ coming to earth in the form of an infant. Because in doing so, Paul says in Philippians 2, Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. You and I can hardly grasp and take hold of this because you and I have never given up our divinity to take on humanity. But when you look at the character, the power, the holiness of God, and you think that Jesus put all of that to the side for the entirety of his earthly ministry, you see just how much his love cost himself. You see what walking in love really looks like. It sacrifices your own good for the good of someone else. Thirdly, Paul says that to imitate God means giving yourself up. What began with Christ coming to earth ended with Christ going to the cross. Christ set aside his divine rights when he entered our sphere, and he set aside his human rights when he entered the grave. And that is the essence of sacrificial love, seeing your rights and your privileges as second to those to the needs of others. The problem with me is that I think I'm owed something. The problem with people is we think we're owed something. But to imitate Christ means putting that instinct behind us. First John says this, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? To imitate Christ by giving yourself up means using what you have to meet the needs of your brother. In fact, this marks the Christian life to such a degree that John says to disregard the needs of fellow believers gives your fellow believers license to question whether or not the love of God lives in you. How can the love of God be in that person, John says, if you don't take pity and meet the needs of those, if you don't give yourself up to other people? But what you and I can give goes beyond our physical needs. When we deny people our kindness and mercy, when we can't give forgiveness to those who are unforgivable, when we can't give love who uh, are just unlovable, we deny that God's love lives inside of us. For the Christian, sacrificial living is not relegated to just one season of the year. Anyone can do that. Our life imitates the Father's life, one of sacrifice and offering. 
there was a man named Hudson Taylor. He was a missionary to China in the mid-1800s, and he spent a total of 51 years in a foreign country in China. At one point, the missionary organization that supported him could no longer pay their missionaries, but he stayed in China, trusting that God wanted him there and would therefore provide for his needs. But when his bad health forced him back to England to recover for a long period of time, he continued on his sickbed to serve China by translating the Bible into Chinese. During his time spent healing, he also organized a new missionary organization that made up 20% of the missionaries in all of China in a few years. He began to study medicine and eventually returned to China to continue oversight of his missionaries and his own evangelistic work. Even through multiple health crises, the deaths of his children, and opposition from a very rough government, Hudson and his wife believed they were doing only their reasonable service for a sacrificial God. And Hudson's example inspired millions, including Eric Liddell, who was the Olympian runner, who went on, because of Hudson's example and others like him, to become a missionary in China. Hudson inspired a woman named Audrey Johnson, the founder of Bible Study Fellowship, who is now an international Bible study all over this world. Billy Graham started his ministry because he was inspired by the sacrifices made by Hudson Taylor, and he evangelized millions all over the world. But at the end of his life, Hudson was asked how he did so much and why he was willing to give up so much, a normal life, in the midst of such opposition, deaths of his children, uh, his own poor health. And once he considered the question, his response was, I never made a sacrifice. What a perspective for us to imitate. The perspective of a man who imitated the sacrificial love of God. Now, of course, Hudson and missionaries like him have sometimes given up life and limb for what they do. But he knew that when he compared his sacrifice to the sacrifice made by God at the incarnation, the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, it paled in comparison. There was no comparison to that sacrifice. His life, no doubt, was a fragrant aroma to uh, God's love because it was founded on God's love. And therefore, he would sacrifice everything and think of it as nothing. Let's face it, this is about everybody's favorite season of the year and for good reason. The Christmas season is all about hope, goodwill toward men, and giving gifts. But let's remember that our giving is not like the world's. The church does not just give sacrificially, the church lives sacrificially. We are living sacrifices, the book of Hebrews tells us. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Now we're going to have the deacons come forward. And we're going to take time for communion, a time of introspection for ourselves to see if our lives are stacking up to the fragrant aroma we know that they should be when we compare them to the sacrifice that our Heavenly Father made for us.